0: You're listening to The Film File, the film show for film geeks and by film geeks. And no geeks were heard in the production of this podcast. I was. Hello and welcome. Yes, it's The Film File. And yes, I'm Lee Forward. I'm
1: bloody knackered. <laughs> I'm Andy Meakin. <laughs>
0: he's Andy Meekin. And he's knackered. Andy, why are you knackered? Being the obvious question.
1: You've seen the weather you felt the weather you say this is lovely this is hell for me i hate the summer i despise it i can't sleep i hate the heat i just feel sluggish i feel worn out i feel drained all the time oh bring on autumn autumn's where it's at (laughs) autumn's beautiful autumn's just the right temperature autumn's fantastic um but yeah summer (laughs) (laughs) oh okay (laughs) i i don't work well for summer and i'm i'm really really struggling at the moment i didn't get to i finished work last night got in and i could not sleep didn't end up going to bed until well until the birds were singing outside the windows at 5am right at which point it's too the sunlight's too bright that i couldn't get decent sleep this is why i hate it oh right you don't have enough hours in darkness of the night anymore over the summer, and you are a
0: creature of the night,
1: and that short amount of time that I can manage to sleep for has now been completely disrupted. So basically, for the rest of the summer, I don't sleep. I did well last year. This time last year, I was in Banbury. It's been a, it's been a year since I went to Banbury. Oh, is it? yep Blimey, that's fine And good thing about hotel rooms is the curtains are they're basically sheets of concrete. <laughs> yeah, it's industrial
0: strength curtaining. Uh, a nuclear blast apparently still wouldn't register through the curtains of a premiere
1: in yep pretty much it's a, it's a fact it's a, it's, a, it's a genuine fact because you know those times that i woke up in the hotel room in banbury thinking like oh it must be early morning and i've opened the open the curtains and like basically it's, it's like a scene from dracula i just like dissolved to dust as the sunlight struck me because it was halfway through the day but yeah i i don't like the sewer what i what i do like though is something that i just did on a whim yesterday oh and can, can you mention and I, I shall be sharing with everyone on uh, the youtube channel during this week Uh, well you know how (laughs) i
0: i'm so intrigued
1: (laughs) you know how i don't listen to the podcast once i've edited it because i've I've listened to us talking multiple times through the edit like in constant repetitive moments so the last thing that i want to do at the end of it is go i'm going to listen to the whole thing through and i i rely on you to like send me the message once you start listening to it going There's a bit of dead space for about fifty minutes. <laughs> like, oh, I forgot to <laughs> There's no, no part two. <laughs> well, I came up with the idea of cherry picking episodes and listening to them okay. and recording my response for the YouTube channel. And I've recorded yesterday on a whim while Kerry and the kids went to see Guardians of the Galaxy three. I just sat down, opened up a video recording, set my camera up, and started playing episode one and pausing it every now and then to talk about what we were thinking back then um (laughs) what was going on and just make little comments on like you know how the show's evolved since then and the things that like on that first episode didn't quite work but we kind of had the foundation for and it was interesting listening back through it's really interesting um it'll be going out on the youtube channel probably around about the same time as i dropped this episode so feel free to pop over to our youtube channel i'll put the link in the uh description of this episode and uh check it out and see see how i respond to those early early days of the podcast
0: it's interesting because what i do when i'm listening back is i go it's funny how you know your own syntax (laughs) and it's almost to the sense of i know what words i'm going to say or what kind of phrases i use because i can't remember what we've done as soon as we've recorded it and i'm going um you know i'll say I um, haven't seen this for, I'm going to say donkey's years, because that's my syntax. It's yep. really odd prejudging myself, knowing what I'm going to say, because yeah, that's how I say things. Yep. I understand what I mean.
1: So um, I'm going to be cherry picking episodes from throughout it and maybe once a month do one of these. because It literally only took me three hours to put all, put the whole thing together because it was basically the playthrough right. of it. And then I, I haven't really edited the video down that much. I wanted to keep my my responses to it quite raw. I didn't want it to feel that i've then over engineered and over edited my response to something which the whole idea is supposed to be my natural response to hearing what we were talking about and how we interacted has has it changed much you know what The, the show generally is pretty much the same structure
0: right that was the one thing we we were quite insistent upon when we started that the that it wasn't just the
1: ramblings of two middle-aged film geeks. <laughs> i mean it still is but uh... <laughs> yes have you heard the first half but you know at, on that first episode we had the structure of straight into the news then then a review and then neat things so the basic structure of the show has been the same but there's things like this bit that we're doing now that evolved over time where we're just having a chat about what we've done this week which isn't necessarily film related you know it's anything mm. that's caught our interest so yet yeah, we're basically bookending the show with our neat week to our neat things these days to give it that personal like extra thing uh, okay. and obviously we didn't have the music stings but the most hilarious bit the music the music intro um thing which we debated and discussed and we had that archive of music to look through and we threw ideas out and then it was the one that you'd gone this sounds good and i was like yeah but i couldn't decide which bit sounded good so on that very first episode the intro music is like a minute long <laughs> oh, right. and because it's a minute long and it feels awkward for some stupid reason i decided to do a voiceover it's it's awful <laughs> i don't remember that oh, oh my goodness i completely forgot until i was listening to it and i had to pause while i was like playing it back because i was chuckling to myself on the video Just like, let me just explain this voice that i'm doing here <laughs> <laughs> it's a proper like coming from the studios of film file <laughs> oh my god what am i doing
0: i, I have no <laughs> recollection of that whatsoever
1: uh, but yeah it, you can see how we were experimenting with ideas back then and you can see like the the formation of where it evolved to which it is now which is yeah you know, we tried to keep it very neat back then as well we didn't go off i on think we rained for an hour didn't we back we then did it was a uh, 53 minutes that first episode mm. but we you know, we, we didn't try to we didn't divert off on topics we didn't like really I, I feel that we we were trying to be a bit too structured whereas now we've got the structure but we have fun yeah. around it and we're fluid around it and we're natural because we've adopted that we're sat round a table having a drink with mates and talking films aspect that we like to think yeah. that we are that you know you, you could sit in a pub with us and we would talk exactly the same way but back then, it felt like we were trying to structure a show, if you get what I mean. But it was, it yes, was the first episode. Exactly. We wanted to make an impression. We wanted to. Yeah, put our best foot forward. And now we just ramble. So, if anyone's got any favourite episodes from the past that they'd like me to revisit for the first time, <laughs> uh, feel free to get in touch. You know what to do. Uh, drop us an email podcast at or contact us on one of the social channels. Because, uh, like I say, I've never listened to the full episodes from start to finish. So this is a whole new experience for me.
0: Well, I tell you what, my, my week's been interesting. Um, the secret project that I've been working on took a slight step forward Ooh. with some negotiations in place. Still very early days, but there is a, a sense of momentum. Uh, I can't wait to talk about it and when and if, I mean, that being the main thing, these early stage discussions, uh, if they progress any further, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal all. But at the moment, you know, um, tentative baby steps but uh, in the right direction so i'll, nice. I'll keep you I'll keep you in the loop folks once it comes around to hopefully revealing what it is i've been working on for the last several several months
1: myself and all the listeners out there are keeping fingers toes noses can you keep a nose crossed i'm not sure yeah why uh, but... not give it a go Send we'll photos the... of your nose crossed i'll keep me i'll keep my eyes crossed for you
0: <laughs> so that's our week but You've been in touch with us because last week we set our social challenges. I love setting our social challenges, Andy, because it's a it's a nice way of knowing what our dear listeners are thinking. Andy, what was our social challenge for
1: last week? So last week it was the, the question was the simple one of what was the movie that you saw first that made you fall in love with cinema? It's not necessarily the first film that you've seen, but it's the one that made you go, wow, and sparked that love of the big screen experience and you know showed you what cinema can do and drew you into this weird and crazy world of film geeks
0: i gave this a lot of thought about what i what i saw and, and i remember going getting taken thankfully my, my parents and my my grandmother took me to the cinema a lot mm. so i remember things like the thunderbirds film thunderbirds go <laughs> blowing me away uh my mom always took me to the disney movies yeah. uh, i have a huge memory of of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the one with James Mason, which is awesome. James Mason. Uh, James Mason.
1: <laughs> and
0: uh, I also remember being highly affected by Bambi, but who wasn't at that particular age. Yeah. But for me, Star Wars. Star Wars yeah. was the one where I went, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I saw 2001, very young, my dad took me. I didn't have a clue what I was watching. Yeah, The spectacle of it was outstanding. But it was Star Wars. It was sat in Star Wars and going, yeah. As so many people have the same recollection of just been in awe.
1: Yep. I've related the tale many times of how at age four we were staying relatives when Star Wars got released in the West End of London at the end of 1977. Um, my mum being the huge movie fan that she is, because she used to take us every few weeks to go and see any film which was on anyway. But my earliest childhood memory is age four, watching Star Wars. I have no other memory before then i'm pretty sure i came into being during that film <laughs> and as a result that film having such an impact on me at such a young, young age woke me up to the magic of the big screen and from then that point to, i mean you know, i was born at that right time that all my defining childhood years were watching films such as superman i i believed a man could fly as a five-year-old oh yeah uh, close encounters of third kind i saw that at the age of five or six et yeah, indiana jones and all of this like that great era of like the 70s to the mid 80s where there was so much pushing ahead of special effects technologies whilst at the same time on ho- at home i was getting the pleasure of all the older 60s to early 70s films like your harry house and animations etc you know i got to see clash of the titans on the big screen but i got to see jason the argonauts on the small screen and loved jason yeah. the argonauts even more Star Wars is the one that kickstarted it, but that whole era of my childhood awakening really showed me the diverse mix of films that can be presented to you on the big screen and made me into the film geek that I am today.
0: That's us, what about our listeners?
1: Uh, Lindsay Story, who's a regular contributor towards the answers. um, It wasn't one I watched at the cinema as I was too young, but I watched The Lost Boys when I was about eight and it's been my favourite ever since. I think that's when my obsession with film started. That's an interesting choice as an eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah. I, I can see that being, you know, Lost, seeing Lost Boys at eight would be similar to, say, watching Salem's Lot around, like, the, your childhood, like, me and thee did. Mm, interesting. That yeah. same kind of impact of, like, the, here's a vampire film that isn't quite the same as other vampires that I've heard of. Uh, Stephen Blaine Young, I believe it might have been Jumanji at the pictures. Went to see it at the kids' wow. club in the Odeon in the 90s. Really made me sit up in my seat. Carl said, up. It was the first time in a film that he's cried. He had seen many other films through his life, but that was the first film that really, really hit him.
0: Oh, that's interesting, yeah. They find
1: you, these
0: films, not often you
1: find them. John, who I urge people to check out his YouTube channel, at Old Man Chimes. He's on all social media as Old Man Chimes. uh, a, A fellow film buff and geek, but with very different tastes than what I have it's one that got him into film it a head and that doesn't surprise me at all knowing john and <laughs> um, it's the strangeness and abstract nature of it and he was about 12 years old when he encountered that film and it's changed his life forever. See it
0: make an impression
1: john could write theses on Derek Jarman films, which are seven and a half hours long. He's that kind of film goer. And very often there'll be a film that I'll walk out of going, that was pretentious garbage. You're gonna love it, John. <laughs> on the flip side, he'll come out of like a generic action film and go, you'll enjoy that, Andy. It's like, we know each other's tastes. Okay. Me mumsy said The Wizard of Oz. Um, we've re- related this tale before that she could never remember what the first film that she watched was, but the one that wowed her was Wizard of Oz because that changed from black and white to color. Couldn't believe it was true having lived with black and white on tv and even when you've been to a saturday children's show they were never in color that was the first time that she got to see that vivid door opening after she lands in oz and all of a sudden it shifts to technicolor and glorious technicolor at that uh, janet melling greece although it wasn't the first film she'd seen i know it wasn't because she went to see star wars with us um it was the one that she realized how amazing it was to watch a film at the cinema yeah and That's i can remember i can remember watching greece on the big screen and i i love greece as a result because i was at that early age do you know
0: why i remember greece because there was a trailer for superman the movie with it and that was more <laughs>
1: important to me than seeing greece big orange mushroom over on mastodon said probably skinny and fatty i was really young and it made an impression on a more emotional level bicycle thieves okay
0: oh bicycle thieves absolutely skinny and fatty not a
1: clue um aussie at mastodon world when I was growing up, the Matrix of Fight Club blew my mind and helped direct my taste in movies for years to come. The thing that set me on my current path of Cinephile was probably Parasite or maybe the parties just beginning, which caused me to realise how much I loved movies despite not watching them very often. So I set out to increase how many I watched. And I get that. There's you know, you've got you've got the ones that sparked your interest, but then you've got the ones that made you go, I've missed out on so much. Like a few years ago on the podcast when we were doing the films that Andy's not watched um as a regular feature and that was me yeah, yeah. realizing that i really need to expand my horizons a bit with these films that people say are classics over on twitter stevie dan 1969 jaws it was a gripping stuff for a five-year-old me i didn't even know what a shark was back then and it said that also said that his three favorites as a child were jaws Grease, and star wars which i think i can completely completely understand and relate to yeah perfect perfect so an interesting range of responses a uh, varying ages contributing different selections there one thing that it got me thinking of as well is those early times for people like me and you of watching films as a child do you remember when cinemas used to do little shorts before the main feature
0: yeah, i do indeed um
1: and there would always some random like filmed with a camcorder in someone's backyard <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i do remember a film Gawain and the Green Knight Mm. by director Roger Christian, who was the art director on Star Wars. And that ran with Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I remember uh, a classic, it was a very classic story about a kid who gets a rocking horse and Mm. he he predicts the, uh, when he's on the rocking horse, he predicts the the, the race winners. I remember that, I remember it being really spooky, but for the life of me, couldn't tell you what film it was with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Monty Python always used to have little um, little <laughs> films that went out with it as well. Yes.
1: It, it's just a, a bygone thing of a past age. Because now, in this day and age, your short filmmakers, they can get picked up on various on YouTube. services. Yeah. Get on YouTube, or you can do, like, on subscription services, like Mubi, etc. we'll have shorts. There's even Shorts TV subscription service to allow new filmmakers to showcase their talents. But back then, the only way that you could get a short film scene was to get it tagged with the beginning Mm -hmm. beginning of a major feature and the bigger feature that you could get tagged to the better chance there was of you generating some interest and some uh, credit within the industry what a what a strange time we come from
0: (laughs) it is double features as well i remember double features
1: double features
0: yeah and there was always some odd choices as well yeah (laughs) so i remember i remember a double feature and and who planned this i'll never know kez and the magnificent seven
1: i mean yeah the the double features sort like really didn't make sense it'd always be something like you know salo last days of sodom with the rescuers
0: (laughs) i remember the ralph bakshi film wizards (laughs) with the remake of nosferatu (laughs) who planned that one
1: it's just random names of films in a hat and just pull them out it's like we'll have a double bill off yay they'll do debbie does dallas with Bambi. Bambi.
0: <laughs> anyway, there's our question of the week.
1: What would be your favourite double bill?
0: <laughs> there you go. It's we'll drop the one that I was originally planning. That's what we'll go with. If you're going to uh, program a double bill, what would it be? Wrong answers would be preferable. <laughs> but yes, what would your double bill be? You can reach us on the following.
1: Yeah, you can reach us on social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know, you know what to do. Search for at Film File UK on all social media platforms. You should find us there, or you can send us an email: podcast at filmfile dot uk.
0: Okay, so what have we got on this week's show for you? We've got a deep dive into
1: with nail and I the
0: classic, and we didn't come on holiday by mistake. We've got reviews of
1: the big film this week, Fast X, the not so big film this week. Well worth seeing more than Fast X, Bo is Afraid. Had the little film that landed on Netflix, Asterix and Obelix, The Middle Kingdom.
0: Andy will tell you his thoughts on those three very soon. But before all that, we've got some natter as we talk about the box office and this week's news.
1: (music) To start the news, let's go through the box office. So, driving right in at the top spot in the box office in the US is Fast X. It took 67 million this weekend over in the States. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy took 32.4 million. So, still a strong holdover on previous weeks. Super Mario Brothers holds into third place with 9.6 million added onto its total. Book Club, the next chapter, in fourth place with 3 million. And Evil Dead Rise on 2.4 million. Here in the UK, Fast X again, straight in at number one, taking 5.8 million in the UK box office. Guardians of the Galaxy knocked into second place, taking another 2.8 million. It's taken 28.9 million in the UK so far. It's a pretty strong entry for Marvel there. Super Mario Brothers, 544,000 added onto its total. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, 327,000 for fourth place. And new release, Bo is Afraid, which I'll be reviewing later in the show, 231,000 to take it into fifth place. FastX's opening weekend worldwide, it was predicted to be around about 300 million. It managed 318 million, a very strong opening. For a film that costs 350 million to make, it might still struggle to completely go profitable. But this is a very good start. And it remains to be seen what happens in the coming weeks, whether there's a huge drop off. Guardians of the Galaxy is now up to six hundred and sixty million worldwide. It's definitely on target for profit and has been having really decent drop offs week on week compared to previous Marvel entries. And Super Mario Brothers movie is now on one point two five billion worldwide. It's now started to slow down, so it's not going to trickle much more out of that. But that's a fantastic figure for an animated movie.
0: Some good figures. I'm not surprised about Fast X. What I am surprised is that Guardians is still holding out. And I put it down to good word of mouth. And that's something that Quantumania didn't, even though you and I are both surprised because we had a a jolly good time. We know it's not a classic, but we had a good time for it. Uh, And then that was followed by Shazam, uh, Fury of the Gods. And that really, really did bomb big. And that shadow of, is this the end of an era? comes to mind and we've talked about it off air and mentioned it a few times on air is this the end for, for the superhero run 10 years most things do come to some kind of organic close look at the western look at sci-fi back when star wars was big it sort of it sort of petered off after a while yeah people go through trends so guardians kind of booked that and i guess the reason is why well i think it's because it's a good film and people mm-hmm. have been talking about it
1: yep word of mouth has been very positive on guardians 3. superhero fatigue has been creeping in over the past year or so but you deliver the right kind of superhero film comic book film spectacle events with a heart with a story and with good effects and you can turn the tide now as a result of this the uh, you know there's a lot more buzz around what james gunn is going to be doing with dc there's a lot more positivity about like wow this is what james gunn was capable of what if he brings this to like the superman stuff what if he brings this overseeing all the other dc this could be really good obviously upsetting the Zack snyder fanboys who insist that their director knows their characters inside <laughs> out but you know let's not talk about them too much today but it's also boosted the interest in the flash as a result people are back on board for superhero films and that's tracking pretty strongly for its opening. I mean, the trailers
0: have been great, haven't they?
1: Yes, I mean, it's tapped into the nostalgia factor with the Michael Keaton, but the trailers have really showcased all the talent involved in it and what kind of spectacle we're going to get. And it looks great, but the buzz is very good on it. And the early word from reviews is very good. Even Stephen King says that it's really good, uh, which came as a surprise because he's not really one known for talking about comic book movies. Yeah, so superhero fatigue, maybe just maybe isn't actually a thing maybe it's just poor films fatigue or lacklustre should I say lacklustre rather than poor because yeah I wouldn't yeah. say that any I've not hated any of the Marvel films but a few and I'm looking at I've you All Love love the thunder were underwhelming and lacklustre yeah slight on story and just trying to be too jokey and missing the heart of what this should be I was gonna say
0: look at Shang-Chi Shang-Chi uh, delivered really, really well. People went to see it. People have kind of forgotten about it in, mm. in this new wave because of people talking about Superhero fatigue. tea. Uh, yes, everything that was critiqued about Doctor Strange, I totally agree with. The yep. moments in it that I like. Thor Love and Thunder was was hugely disappointing. Yep. Shazam was a hugely disappointing film, even though it, it wasn't dreadful. Uh, Quantumania surprised me, Eternals, I understood why people didn't get it. yeah. And that was an interesting one because it strayed away from formula and people didn't like that stray away from formula. Also, I don't think they were particularly engaging characters to hang a film around. There was no spark there like you had with a a Captain America movie or an Iron Man movie or an Avengers movie. The the, the cast didn't really gel and propel it forward, but it was an interesting failure as opposed to um, Thor, which was just, as you say, lukewarm ideas thrown around and and got to the point of pastiche rather than telling a great story
1: yeah so the future may still be bright for marvel and dc especially with both of them pulling back their productions and slowing down the release schedules i mean for example with marvel we now know that there's only two more shows to come after next month's secret invasion from marvel for disney plus we now know that there are just two Loki Season right. 2, which will start in October, on October the 6th, for a six-episode run. And Echo, which all the episodes land on November the 29th. Every other show, apparently, is now into next year. We're no longer getting this, like, four different shows a year. They're going to slow that down. Okay.
0: So, yes, I, th- I think that that helps create this sense of, of being over overburdened by superhero uh, movies and TV.
1: That's the thing. I mean, and it's interesting that they're dropping Echo all at the same time. Now, some people who are, shall we say, the more toxic, negative fanboys out there who like go, why does anyone want Echo? How dare you have a a female character leading a TV series? They've been saying, oh, they're obviously dropping it all at the same time because they've not got any confidence in it. No, it's getting dropped at the end of November. They normally have some big content dropping through December anyway, so they don't need the extra content drops. And also by dropping it all at the same time, it means that they're not just dragging out more Marvel stuff to make people bored about Marvel by the time it gets to the new year. Yeah. I think it's a good strategic move that you do your loki week by week because loki is very much season one was structured in a way that the end of each episode is like a kind of tease and like get you talking about it water cooler thing but i can see echo being a more single story concise plot line over multiple episodes a mini movie more or less so why not drop it all at the same time let's see what happens with the flash as well but superhero fatigue's not over and the, the brands are responding to all the criticism by slowing things down a bit also on the marvel front we've had more casting for the deadpool movie
0: yes saw that one so brianna hildebrand is
1: back and shioli kutsuna who you remember played negasonic teenage warhead and um, yukio in the previous film uh they're returning obviously alongside ryan reynolds as wade wilson deadpool hugh jackman we know is appearing in this one marina in stefan kapsik is back as colossus Karen Sony as Dupinder, Leslie Uggams as Blind Owl, and Rob Delaney as Peter. Pretty much everyone who we wanted to be back is back. Emma Corrin and Matthew McFadden are also on board in undisclosed roles. Okay. But that's not the only bit of Marvel casting news that we've had this week. Okay. We've also got Clark Johnson, who you might remember from The Wire and Evil, is set to recur in Marvel's Daredevil Born Again, along with directing two of its 18 episode run. Details about the character that you'll be playing is under wraps but johnson is believed to be playing a recurring character named cherry according to rumors and gossip and that name could possibly be referring to randolph cherry who previously appeared in the first season of netflix's incarnation and was played by jonathan walker if it is that character it's a new york senator who worked closely with wilson fisk and was part of the hell's kitchen rebuilding project and was last seen being arrested by the fbi so that kind of makes sense as to why they'd be included. We'll we'll know more as it goes through. And in speculation talk, a report at the Hot Mike podcast via Discussing Film indicates that Emma Stone was approached to play Sue Storm in Fantastic Four, but apparently negotiations fell apart through pay. Emma Stone would have been a great Sue Storm.
0: Yeah, I mean we talked about Margot Robbie being in the mix for it. Uh there's been some wild rumors. We talked about Adam Driver was apparently a shoe in to play Reed Richards. We've not heard anything official yeah. on any of those, so just throw those into the rumor section of your room.
1: Over at the Sonyverse, another actor has sold their soul to Venom 3. Uh, Chuit Elagiafor is going to be playing an unknown character for Venom 3. Now, he's already in the MCU as Baron Mordo.
0: So, speculation runs rife as whether he's playing that character again
1: or if he isn't and he's playing a whole new character, then all this forced attempt that the Sony have been trying to do to hint that they will be part of the MCU at some point is going to fall flat on its face. But I, I hope that it falls flat on its face. I hope that all of the Sony Spider-Verse falls flat on its face. It's getting annoying now. They are tainting the brand. It's because of the Sony aspect of superhero films that some of the fatigue is, has started to seep in because the lacklustre of productions. Morbius was terrible. The Venom films have been garbage. And is anyone watching going to watch Craven the Hunter? Really? these are the blemish that are causing the brands to be the whole superhero brand to be tarnished with a bad reputation yeah. so please 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 either pick up your game and get mark like get back with marvel and get marvel to do everything or just stop making them stop bleeding it dry
0: so there have been more discussions this week talking about who james gunn is going to play his man of steel uh lots and lots of names have been uh, thrown into the mix however james gunn has had something to say about this
1: yeah, there's been a lot of speculation. We've had reports from THR that David Covenswet from Pearl and Hollywood is amongst one of the top contenders to play Clark Kent, Superman, apparently had a screen test according to rumours and gossip. Uh, two other contenders who were reportedly up for the role, but identities remain unknown. Uh, so there's British actors Tom Brittany from Grantchester and Andrew Richardson, a call to spy, were also said to be in the mix early on, but they might no, no longer be part of it. At one point, Jacob Elordi of Euphoria, was a name that was sprung around with Lois Lane casting. Rachel Brosnahan from The Marvelous Miss Maisel was said to have been offered an outstanding audition. Uh, Samara Weaving was hinted. Oh, I'd love Samara Weaving to be Lois Lane. Yeah, you've got high high um, expectations there, haven't you? Yeah. Emma McKee from Death on the Nile was rumoured. Nothing's locked in. There's only one role that seems to be almost locked in and has only has one name attached. And according to reports, Nicholas Holt as Lex Luthor. Um, it was previously the runner-up to play Batman for Matt Reeves before Robert Pattinson was cast. But, and here's the key thing, James Gunn has commented that, because everyone's been like, is this true? Is this true? And he commented initially, I would not discuss anyone's auditions or any casting rumours. That information is for the actors themselves to disclose before I will comment. And over the past 24 hours, he's additionally commented that he's going to stop responding to questions going forwards. He won't be responding as much as he's been doing because he's woken up in the past 24 hours to a multitude of speculative reports and he said that some of them were half right and if he starts debunking things people will notice what he debunks and then take the things that he's not debunked and he's not commented on go this must be true and they'll accidentally stumble on the actual secrets that he wants to keep i think that james gunn's great in the way that he interacts with the community when he does his like you know i'm going to be online for an hour ask me anything and he'll respond and his interactions are great he did it round to the launch of guardians of the galaxy 3 questions about guardians of the galaxy only and he ignored all the dc ones i love that level of interaction with the fan base because he is a geeky fanboy himself yeah he's one yeah. of us he's us
0: he is we should get him on the show
1: but people have been manipulating that good nature in order to try to get him to accidentally reveal secrets. So he's he's stepping away as a result. So all of those names that I've mentioned, some of it may be true, some of it may not. But let's wait until the official announcements before we get too excited. There's some great names in there. You know, I I don't think there's any names in there that I'd go. Nah, I I can't see that. Nicholas holt as Lex Luther would be amazing. Yes. Yeah, you know, from when we talked about Renfield, that we both got quite a lot of love for how he's grown as an actor.
0: We talked about him as as a possible Bond.
1: Yeah so let's let's see what happens but something's going to get announced pretty soon on superman legacy because it is the first major dc thing that will go into production and the casting is underway so we will get the official word within the coming weeks i reckon
0: so this made us very happy last week uh beetlejuice 2 is in pre-production and we know has been spotted on the set uh, returning as lydia Deetz, who now is the mother and, and i just love the sort of odd symmetry that tim burton's brought to this of jenny ortega i i just i just like that that symmetry you know and yeah they just seemed absolutely bit of perfect
1: casting but can't wait can't wait can't wait said it three times i'm completely excited for the return of beetlejuice as we discussed last week what i'm not particularly excited for and this is a bizarre one so the pink panther <laughs> mm, i was i knew this would crop up I, I tried to look away there's been 11 films in the pink Panther franchise six of them with peter sellers one with alan arkin there was the steve martin films you know and they've been a mixed bag i don't think the steve martin films were particularly bad i think that they were okay the reasonable family entertainment it's just that they had a big shadow to sit under yeah. and they couldn't live up to peter sellers and now there's going to be a reboot of the pink panther mystery franchise with eddie murphy yeah we thought eddie murphy was on a good comeback and a cgi panther I'm I getting the feeling that someone's not actually watched the Pink Panther and doesn't realise that the Pink Panther is a diamond and the animated element is only over the opening credits and that's it. It's not a character... For Inspector Clouseau to interact with, I've got no problem with Eddie Murphy being cast as a Clouseau if they're going to make a version. But please don't add in a CGI ca- Panther for him to interact with, because you've missed the whole point.
0: Yeah, has, has anybody said that they're doing a Pink Panther Inspector Clouseau movie? Ah, that's the thing. Are they doing the a Pink doing Panther?
1: Panther movie? See, that's that's the thing. Is like all that the news reporter said that it's going to be the comedy mystery franchise, Pink Panther. No other details have emerged regarding actors or creatives. Murphy is expected is expected to take on the role of Cluso, but it's not been confirmed. So yeah, we'll soon see. We'll see. But as we know, nothing's ever going to live up to, particularly the earlier Peter Sellers ones. The latter part of even Sellers' run grew stale. His final one was posthumous.
0: Yeah, and they were using outtakes from other other movies to create a story. Yeah, and then there was the awful one with I can't remember the actor, and he was he was in the old soap. T V series. He took over as the son of the Pink Panther.
1: Yeah. And that was really dreadful. There's potential. It's obviously another nostalgia tap to try to jump onto all that is, but unfortunately this is a nostalgia tap that won't draw in the older audience who remember the originals because they're the ones who are likely Absolutely. to avoid it.
0: And I don't think there's much of a much of a name to carry on um because if you do have any memory of the pink panther just from tv it would be um inspector Cluzo. yeah there's not much in the way of brand recognition for a new audience so we'd heard that uh, barry cogan was in gladiator 2. well now he's not he's been replaced by uh the white lotuses fred Heschinger. that's all we know but we know the film yeah. is in production right now
1: yes uh, it's a follow-up to the 2001 best picture oscar Winner, which followed Maximus Decimus Meridius, played by Russell Crowe. Um, set decades later, this story centers on Lucius, Paul Mescal, son of Lucilla, Connie Nielsen, and nephew of Commodus. Fred Heysinger is now going to be playing Emperor Gator in the project. Also hopping on board in recent weeks are May Calamari, Leo Raz, Peter Mensa. Matt Lucas and Derek Jacobi will reprise his role as Senator Gracchus one of only a few returning talents alongside Nielsen. Moon Knight actress, Kalamaui is playing the female lead in the film and beat out quite a huge amount of competition for the part. Release date next year, November the 22nd. Let's see if it can manage to have as much of an impact as that first Gladiator film did when it just came, came kind of from nowhere. Yeah. No one would have accepted a swords and sandals thing would have done something, but blew people away strike update okay so the of strike continues on filming on the penguin tv series has stalled due to the strike action and picket lines the teamsters and local guild members have chosen not to cross the line to continue shooting on the series so it's caused mm. disruption on the running of that meanwhile sag aftra the screen acting guild has begun their own voting process for, t- for potential strike action voting is set to close on june the 5th before negotiations will start on the 7th, the result of the vote being done in advance so that should the negotiations go wrong, they can call for strike action immediately. And um, these talks are coming ahead of the union's contract expiring on June the 30th. SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher said in a statement, for the first time in a very long time, our member leadership stands in solidarity at the negotiating committee and the national board levels are moving forward with strike authorization. We must get all our ducks in a row should the need to present itself. The prospect of a strike is not a first option, but a last resort. As my dad always says, better to have and not need than to need and not have. Now, the last time that SAG went on strike was back in 2000. That lasted six months. There's multiple issues on the table this time regarding inflation and the same things that we've seen in the Writers Guild. Demands, streaming compensation, shortened TV seasons with extended hiatuses, and quickly building on concerns to do with ai and its regulation within the industry
0: as we know there's been big discussions uh in the american senate this week over ai and people are not actually taking it very very seriously as i wouldn't say i don't want to go all uh skynet on anybody and go mm. you know as a threat but the way that it is going to alter a lot of jobs and a, a lot of people's uh, livelihoods are going to change we talked about voiceover artists for instance yeah. So um, I'm glad it's been addressed and addressed at an early stage and, and rather than getting to a point of where AI is it's such a huge part of what we're doing that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So um, it's interesting where we go with this. But again, it's going to hit the film industry. Yeah. And, you know, the people who get, get the most money out of these are the studios and the producers. Yes, I know the big stars do remarkably well. But it's not about those people
1: well the networks are starting to release their fall schedules at this point in time as well abc have revealed their one and it's primarily built of unscripted shows dating competitions game shows etc there's only reruns of abbott elementary which they've scheduled in uh the new season of Abbott elementary as we reported last week has already halted production that was expected to start mid-season should the writers get back to work anytime soon and wonderful world of disney movie nights are part of their scripted content Grey's anatomy Abbott elementary 911 uh the Connors, all on hold at the moment until mid-season at the earliest and mandalorian season four is rumored to be getting put on hold for this time even though it's yeah. not been actually fully greenlit everyone's expecting it but they said nothing's going to happen at least until the writers strike is finished over at disney now we mentioned how disney plus are going to be removing content from the service Mm, yeah i saw this one we now have an idea of what they're removing as soon as next week the may the 26th there's quite a few high profile and i say high profile i mean they were big names but no one watched them or liked them the willow tv series is getting pulled fx's pistol mini series is coming off the service and why the last man coming off the service and all three of them were quite lackluster and yeah uh, yeah, I, I think it's a shame that they're going and people won't be able to find them and discover them for themselves. But are they things that people are watching? No. Are they things well, that people are liking? No. Also being removed, there's Dollface, the Cat Dennings led comedy. There's the adaptation of the children's books, The Mysterious Benedict Society, Little Demon, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, which was a good series, but it's run its course and it. it's never had another series. Films such as The Princess, Rosalind, and Artemis Fowl, two of them are worth seeing. One of them wasn't
0: (laughs) we'll leave it to you to guess which one wasn't
1: if you've not watched the princess and Rosalind yet check out the service as quick as possible and get them watched before they disappear because we don't know where these are going to pop up again they'll probably they'll possibly pop up on another service at some point and just become part of rotations on different services and streaming maybe we might get physical media releases of some of them we don't know at this point in time but the biggest concern here is not that you know the quality Of these shows because even the the rest of the shows some articles are saying some marvel shows are getting removed yeah things like the music of and the behind the scenes of you know the ones that you watch once and you're not bothered with again yeah so it's not essential viewing stuff that they get rid of and it's not popular stuff but it is still content that was made with a passion and a love and uh willow staff writer john bickerstaff commented they gave us six months not even that This business has become absolutely cruel. To spend how much it spent on it on a show and then disappear it six months later is just bad business. He also dismissed the speculation that this is being done for tax write-off reasons, saying that it can't be because they were already made, they've already been produced, they're already out there. This is for other reasons. It's a shame to see the remove, even though I'm not bothered about most of these shows, because it yeah. sets a terrible precedent that in this day of digital, when all of these things are only available in digital, and there's no physical media releases, you have now lost content potentially forever.
0: So as we know, in Hollywood, nothing is really forever because uh, Johnny Depp looked like he was uh, taking a step out of mainstream Hollywood after his recent uh, court shenanigans. Even though it was found in his favor, there was a lot of backlash against the actor. He had a standing ovation this week at the, the Cannes premiere. Mm. June de Barry, and so, of course, his resurgence as an actor is likely to lead back to a return to Hollywood. Now, whether he'll want to choose Hollywood films, because I've always thought of Depp as a uh, as a character actor in a in a leading man's body, and that's why I think he brought something absolutely unique to uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Yeah, I don't think another leading man would have would have created such an outrageous character, uh, but I think that that's Depp. So interesting to see where he goes and where he goes next. But um, you know, he, he had his time in court, and he won the case. What anybody else thinks. That's what the law says.
1: A quick rundown of some quick news. So if you like giant creatures, we've got giant alligators on the way from the production company behind films such as 47 Meters Down and last year's Absolute Treat Fall, which is going to be titled The Bayou, seeing a group of friends crash landing the waterlogged in inhospitable Louisiana swamplands and get attacked by a relentless pack of alligators led by an alpha female. Hoo ha! Lots of deaths, lots of chomping of creatures. I love monster movies. I love giant <laughs> creature movies. And then I got more excited when Renny Harlan revealed that he's returning to the world of sharks, like he did with Deep Blue Sea, with a film called Deep Water, a survival thriller that will follow a group of international passengers whose plane is forced to make an emergency landing in shark-infested waters. I mean, there's no originality on any of these plots. No, but no, you know what? No you don't watch these films for that you watch it for the fun and deep blue sea when reddy harlan gave us that that was i've got a lot of love for that it's a joy (laughs) of a film it has fun with the whole giant sharks and intelligent sharks aspect i'm there for that i'm there for harlan going underwater and having great whites trying to take out audiences again mortal kombat Tati gabrielle has been lined up to portray jade in the sequel to the recent mortal kombat film uh, Jade from the games is an assassin who's a friend and bodyguard to Princess Katana. So that suggests that Princess Katana is going to be a key character as well in this next film. Tron, the third Tron film, which we've been waiting on for a hmm, good 10 years, is finally going into production on July the 3rd in Vancouver. Jared Leto is leading the cast. Oh dear. <laughs> I, th- I think if, any, if he could fit into any world, I think it's the world of Tron. Yes. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. That glorious film from earlier this year that I loved so much. I, t- I tried to say that without about to vomit. I,
0: I know, I know. I, I got the irony.
1: The schedule to begin shooting the sequel this oh autumn. Story details are kept under wraps. Just having a story? <laughs> which is quite, yeah, you know, I was just about to say, the first film had barely any story, so that it's not very hard to keep nothing under wraps, is it? Yeah, maybe they could <laughs> get Jared Leto in it. They couldn't afford Jared Leto. Heck with the budget for this kind of film. They can't even afford a Dorito. (laughs) Jackie Chan is reportedly signed on to star in A Legend, which is a sequel to his 2005 martial arts fantasy adventure hit, The Myth. He's also reportedly in talks to return as Mr. Han in the Karate Kid reboot that he made back in 2010 with a new Karate Kid film. Whether this is the Karate Kid movie that they've been talking about and saying they're going to go in a different direction than the TV series, this would make sense. Or whether it's a whole new idea, because there seems to be loads of confusion over who owns the rights to the Karate Kid at the moment, and loads of different projects are spinning off from it.
0: We've had some major trailer drops this week. We had the first trailer for Martin Scorsese's historic crime epic, Killers of the Flower Moon, starring Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio couple of TV series. I was never a fan of this movie and nearly got ran out of our our city. Uh, the <laughs> Full Monty sequel series trailer reunites uh, a lot of the original cast 25 years on. Never saw the first season but it looks spectacular. And that is Foundation season two for Apple Plus.
1: And there was also a one minute teaser for Five Nights at Freddy's that landed this week, which sets the tone and the mood, and the video game fans will instantly recognise the design work of those animated monsters that catch you when you're not looking. Prepare to be scared. I
0: finally caught it with the uh, Dead Reckoning, the Mission Impossible trailer. Oh boy, I I, I can't wait. I really, really can't wait. Man, that's a belter of a trailer. And reviews have started to land for the latest in the Indiana Jones films. And while we know nothing about it, so far, the reviews seem positive so hopefully it's going to be the great send out
1: the, there's various reviews that have come out and it's hovering i think it's on 51 percent on rotten tomatoes at the moment so whilst it seems that the reviews aren't positive it is worth noting that this first screening was at can and you can critics are not necessarily there to, the watch a, to watch a bullwhip wielding relic of the past let's just cast our eyes back to all the people who are hanging on like the negative critics from Cannes here saying that this, this isn't very good, let's just cast our mind back to maybe 1996 when Crash, which became a Best Picture Oscar winner, um, was actually quite warmly embraced at the box office, got booed. Wild at Heart, no. which was ripped to shreds. The Da Vinci Code, which the crowds loved and it got multiple sequels. People Dan Brown's books suddenly went hugely popular again as a result of this film because the public liked it. The critics at Cannes hated it. Inglorious Bastards, which was booed by Cannes critics, and Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver was despised by the Cannes critics when it got screened. Anyone want to try telling me that Taxi Driver is not a good film? You know what to I do. I love the argument. Send us, send us an email. Genius. We'll shoot you down. So let's take the fact that it's running at 51% on Rotten Tomatoes with approximately 26, 27 reviews at the moment and wait to see what the wider critics' response is. When it gets closer to release date, once the localized press screenings in all territories have released, and we're not just the audience who you don't go to Cannes to watch a blockbuster, you go to Cannes to watch art house, indie documentaries, etc. It's a different audience. Uh,
0: and finally, a passing, which probably not going to make much impact to our UK listeners, but in the US, uh, the passing of Jim Brown, who was an American football player, idol who turned actor
1: yes uh, his wife Monique revealed that he passed away recently age 87 passing away peacefully in his sleep she says in a statement to the world he was an activist actor and football star to our family he was a loving and wonderful husband father and grandfather our hearts are broken his activism work for the civil rights movement had him under surveillance by the FBI through that peak period of the movement taking place He was very outspoken, very prominent. In recent years, he caused some controversy when he went to a meeting with Donald Trump and people said, why are you talking to him? And he turned around and says, he is our sitting president. You have to acknowledge it. You have to talk to people and you have to accept that maybe everyone's open to ideas. He was always a very positive force. He did have some controversy with allegations of abuse through his life, which he's reflected on and said that there's no that there's no cause for using violence on other people. You can always resolve things in civil ways. You can always talk things through. Film lovers will know him from roles in films as early as The Dirty Dozen. The black exploitation era in the 70s with films like Black Gun, The Hard Way, Slaughter, et cetera, um tv roles through the 80s chips tj hooker a team knight rider his face was everywhere he spoofed the exploitation genre in one of my favorite spoofs i'm gonna get you sucker i That's love crazy. that film and in the 90s he kind of had a resurgence with roles in films such as the running man he played fireball small soldiers when he provided the voice of butch and most prominently in mars attacks he's been active throughout the decades his last film appearance was in 2014 playing himself in a cameo in the film draft day he's not a huge prominent name but he's someone that when you see him you will recognize him
0: and that folks is this week's the news (laughs) you're still with us you're still with the film file yeah the film show for film geeks by film geeks brought to you by a couple of old film geeks and it's our love of cinema that we like to share with you but what we want from you in return is you to subscribe if you already haven't done so. Quite simple, head over to your favorite podcast platform wherever you're listening to this show, hit the subscription button and remember to leave a like. If I was not on the show, I'd be doing that right now. This second. I wouldn't I wouldn't pause. I'd be doing it this second. And if I was the flash, I'd go back and I'd do it all over again.
1: And if you want to get in touch with us, you know what to do. You can head over to the social media platforms, look for at filmfileuk. We'll be around there somewhere. Give us a follow, get in touch or you can send us a direct email podcast at filmfile.uk. we'd love to hear any of your thoughts on films and media and maybe even like you know what you've been doing with your life anything at all is there a film and we ask this every now and then is there a film that you can't remember the title of and you want to revisit but you know some details of send that over we love to decipher what film you're talking about
0: and now it's time for this week's deep dive And we are talking a British classic. We're talking about one of the most quotable films for the last 30 years. We're talking about Bruce Robinson's 1987 black comedy With Nail and I.
1: You are cordially invited to spend a carefree weekend in the English countryside. Bask in the warm sunshine. We've gone on holiday by mistake. Enjoy the rustic pleasure of country living. It's gonna be so cold in here. like Greenland in here. Wants to get down there and have sex with those cows. Ah! Partake of fine varietal wine. Oh, it's rank. I assure you I'm not, officer. I've only had a few ales. Get in the back of the Take lunch at a charming pub. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here, and we want them now. Fraternize with cheery locals. I don't care where you come from! Ponce!
0: Experience culinary pleasure.
1: So I can make it die. If
0: there is, you will agree, something je ne sais quoi about a firm young carrot. Fish in the region's streams. Don't threaten me with
1: a dead fish. With Lil and I, a trip worth taking. Absolute twaddle.
0: The film is loosely based on Bruce Robinson's life as a struggling actor in London in the late 1960s. And the plot has two unemployed actors, Withnell, played by Richard E. Grant, in all his debut glory, and Paul McGann, as the eye of the title, who share a flat in Camden in 1969, who accidentally go on holiday. They obtain the key to a country cottage in the Lake District which belongs to Withnell's rather eccentric uncle, Uncle Monty. They drive there and the weekend proves to be less of the holiday than they expected it to be. This was Richard E. Grant's first film and it established him as a major British star. Superb performance by Richard Griffiths as Mm -hmm. uh, Uncle Monty. The unforgettable Ralph Brown as Danny, the drug dealer. And this film is laugh out loud funny and at times gives you the ability to almost, perhaps, in fact, does let you shed a tear. It is one of the most quotable films that you've got. I can think of half a dozen, including We've Come On Holiday By Mistake. And it is just a superb film. This is not just a film. This is a best friend.
1: (laughs) You say about the most, like the quotes, and boy, this is a film that I quoted throughout most of my university life with my house, my flatmates and friends. Things like- uh, how do you know it's a camberwell carrot well because i was in camberwell when i first created it and it looks like a carrot <laughs> it's i mean there's the immortal
0: get in the back of the van
1: i will have you even if it needs to be burglary <laughs> it's very I mean, i'm chuckling now i rewatched this for the first time in quite a while uh, this week but this is a film that I watched almost weekly, if not twice weekly through my university days, particularly from my second year onwards. This is something that I was discussing with people at work, that this is one of those films that when you get to that age, it kind of resonates with you because it's the ambiguity of where you are in your life. With me, it was the second year of university and usually upon entering the second year of university is when you're you're starting to wonder what you're doing with your life, whether you've made the right choices, and you become obsessed with films like this because it reflects on that it's that ins- uncertainty about the future a bit of despondency questioning of whether you're doing the right thing that comes from university life reflected in the somber undertone of the film but with a glimmer of hope that maybe for some of us it'll work out in the end whilst getting smashed off your face on a, as much drugs and drink as you can it's perfect for you this is why university students love it because it reflects your university life me and me mates my housemates watch this almost on repeat oh
0: yeah it was, it was it was repeat wasn't it you didn't just watch it once you'd watch it the week after and the week after
1: it's a film that is a joy to go back to and it's been a good couple of decades since i last went back to it and i've always wanted to go back to it to see whether it can still hold up now that i'm older and wiser allegedly and it still holds up i still feel that connection with i mean i feel the connection with the marlow character but I can understand some people feeling the connection with, like, the downtrodden and the despondent with Nail. Yeah, the the film is, it's hilariously staged. It's sublime in the poignancy. Explores the themes of disillusionment, fear of failure, and the lengths that people go to escape their personal demons. And it's a poignant reflection of the human condition. And everything all under that layer of utterly delectable dialogue exchanges, that you might not laugh out the first time round and this is very much like spinal tap spinal tap is another film that you can go to for the first time and not quite get what's so funny but when you watch it again you get the humor a lot more and on repeated viewings with Nell and i just gets funnier and funnier
0: and funnier the film started out as an unpublished novel by bruce robinson who at that time was a struggling actor he did land uh, a role in uh, zaffarelli's romeo and juliet to which uh, he attributed Uncle Monty's questions uh, about I-sexuality as a direct quote from Zeffirelli, who he allegedly suffered sexual advances when he was at the ripe age of 21. And Bruce was best known as an actor. And I'm going to call him Bruce because I, I'm going to be honest. Bruce is a friend of mine who is just a glorious, wonderful human being. One of the funniest people you'll ever get to meet. And one of the sharpest people that you'd ever get to meet. And this film is just that. started out as an unpublished novel. Uh, It was suggested that he turn it into a screenplay. He did so. It fell into the hands of producer Paul Heller, who urged Robinson to direct it. Robinson had never directed before. They found uh, some money from Handmade Films back in the day, which was George Harrison's company, and they agreed to fund the remainder of the film. It's largely autobiographical. Marwood, the eye character, is Robinson. Withnail is based on his friend Vivian McKennell, with whom he shared the house in Camden. And as I said, Uncle Monty is loosely based on Franco Zeffirelli, the director of Romeo and Juliet. It is a marvellous, marvellous film. It's uplifting, it is hysterical, it will make you cry. And and I, I can't believe that people haven't gravitated to With Nail and I because it's just such a wonderful, Mm. wonderful film. And according to Richard E. Grant in his, and and you've just had this, haven't you, on uh, as one of your neat things, his book With Nails, it was a rough shoot and it was the start Mm. of Robinson's career. And He didn't really know what he was doing, but uh, it turns out that maybe not knowing does help to create that lightning in a bottle
1: yeah it was a somewhat chaotic shoot with the occasional moments that robinson looked like he was going to quit and would walk off to eventually come back and continue with it it went over budget. robinson actually dipped into his own payments to finish off shooting some of the scenes never got any of that money back that wasn't part of the deal he just paid for it so that it would get done there was moments on set where things were done on the spur of the moment richard e grant on the famous cafe cafe scene couldn't stop laughing because he kept hearing one of the dogs of one of the old ladies behind him snuffling away and thought someone was giggling, and it set him off giggling. And so it ends up that his character's now chuckling while he's uh, delivering his dialogue, which wasn't part of the script, but it just ended up, they would shot it so many times, like, oh, bollocks to it, we're just going with this shot. I, I, I love the story that the when he drinks the lighter fluid, on all the rehearsals, it was water in there, and then Robinson switched it with uh, white wine vinegar before the actual take so that you get that natural response from Richard E. Grant as he downs a lighter fluid canister of white wine vinegar and looks absolutely disgusted and shocked and startled. It's a great example of like a chaotic set creating the perfect environment for a film that's exploring kind of like chaotic lives really.
0: I've never seen anybody act so well as a drunk as Richard E. Grant to say the fact he doesn't drink.
1: Yeah. He's a teetotaler. Because he was a teetotaler, Robinson and McGann convinced him to uh, get drunk once and film while they were drunk, just so he could actually relate on the experiences. And he, he details this in his book With Nails of how like it, the experience went, and he has hardly any recollection of a, a lot of it, but apparently he, he gave the funniest performances that anyone's ever seen when he was off his face. But it helped him understand what it's like to be that level of drunk, to be able to go into the film and really deliver on it. I love the little story that um, when the first preview screening was made. Have you heard this one?
0: Yes, how it wasn't, shall we say, it, well received. It
1: fell completely flat, no one laughed, and Robinson was distraught. I, I don't want to call him Bruce, because I, I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> You're calling him Bruce, I call him Robinson. It's. I, I don't feel like I know him so, but <laughs> he was apparently distraught um, until he discovered that the entire audience were german tourists with hardly grasp any grasp of english language who are staying in a nearby hotel <laughs> at which point it was like oh wrong audience <laughs> I, this is a film that you know re-watch it this week and the recent years transfer of it really cleans up the image and it looks okay. amazing i mean it's always looked grungy and dirty and it still has that aspect the scenes with uncle monty going to the cottage in, in the middle of nowhere and sneaking up like into the rooms of the night were always a bit too dark and dingy on the old VHS recordings. You know, you couldn't make out everything. Mm. Now it's cleaned up, it's polished, everything is allowed to sell itself and it's never looked better. Richard E. Grant, what a great way to start your film career. And Paul McGann, this is a great starting block film. Richard Griffiths has never been better. He's perfect as Monty, but it's Ralph Brown for me. Who steals <laughs> everything in this film. Uh, he turned up for his audition completely in character and not only scared the casting director but also had them in stitches at which point it was cast it was like this is exactly what this character should be he should be intimidating you, you should feel that at any point this person could lash out but he's not going to because he's just stoned off his face man and it's his voice that he brings to it which uh really sells the Danny character completely,
0: and he reprised that character. Wayne's World remember, 2. In Wayne's World, 2.
1: <laughs> yes, I was. I, I was only reminding someone of that this weekend at work. Just saying, like, do you remember when he was in Wayne's World too, the same character? Oh yeah, he was. It's just an inspired take on this stoner drug dealing character, and like all his like comments, like be chill, man. It just makes me chuckle every time he's on screen.
0: I mean, this film. It's, it's, it is an absolute legendary British film, and, and it's it's a film that could be made nowhere else in the world because it is just appeals. It's got a British sense of humor. It's about a certain period of time. It stars two up and coming great actors. This is one of the finest wines available to humanity. Uh, I, I love it. I mean, it, it's it takes me back to a time when I discovered it, uh, and I discovered it a bit like you with a group of friends. I didn't see it initially in the cinema. I saw it on its uh, uh, on its release on to, at that point, VHS. Yeah. And I've I've had a love affair with this film ever since. It's marvellously written. It's undershot, which is a deliberate thing because that gives it that kind of poignancy to it. It's like looking into a a dirty window back at the end of the 60s, which is, is a big part of this film. It is unique. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I cannot implore you to to not watch this. Go, do it right now. It's, Find it wherever it is and watch it.
1: It's the ambiguity of the ending as well. It's just perfect. You know, you are left wondering what happened to both of these characters. Yes. The one, one who's apparently going to become a success and the other one who's just left stood in the rain doing a soliloquy of despondency. In the unpublished novel that Robinson had written that he adapted this into, we found out what happens to Withnail, and it wasn't a pleasant ending. I think it's better that we didn't delve into that in the film itself, because I think it would have left it on too much of a downbeat note, whereas now we've got that slight sense of hope for the future, the hope that he can claw his way out of the situation the same way as McGann's eye did. For those who want to know, the original unpublished novel had with nail then going home taking the rifle that he'd taken from Monty's country home filling it with wine before pointing the barrel into his mouth and blowing his brains out yeah it wouldn't have
0: had that same point you see and we know he's given up because yeah. it's there in it's there in the script I mean Bruce Robinson went on to to write some fantastic films uh The Killing Fields of which he he won an Oscar for he did the highly underrated how to get ahead in advertising he wrote Fat Man and Little Boy he took a role in the rock and roll comedy still crazy but i think it will always be this film that people will remember because it is it is absolutely it's an absolutely gorgeous film. Spoke to Bruce recently. He's working on something. I wish I could tell you what. Uh, I can highly recommend his book on Jack the Ripper, which is a stunning read. And uh, I got to sit with Bruce as he rewatched watched Withnail after a good 20 odd years. And he went, it's all right, is that?
1: <laughs> Straight from the horse's mouth. If you want to catch Withnail and I, it's not on for free on any streaming service at the moment, but you can rent it and it's well worth a rent. It's well worth a purchase. Like I say, the more recent transfers have polished it up and make it look even more perfectly dingy and grimy. You can see every detail of everything growing in that sink that they are daring to tackle in that opening scene. It's a great film. If you've never watched it, but you've lived a student life, you're going to recognise so much of what you've been through. Also, I recommend that if you do pick up the home media physical version, Arrow Films, I think, has it. It's also got the documentary uh, With Nail and Us, which is a retrospective look back by some of the cast. You can also catch that documentary on YouTube. Just search for With Nail and Us and you'll find it on there.
0: We'll be back next week with another deep
1: dive. And now it's time for some reviews.
0: I have nothing for you this week, but Andy has, as he's seen three very distinctly different movies.
1: And Andy, start with the big one. It's the one that will be blowing the box office apart. They've been blowing cars up for, well, 10 films plus a spin-off so far. That is Fast X. Dominic Toretto. Problem with having such a big family. Can't save them all. You'll never break my family. Boom. He's coming for you with everything. Let's dig some grace. We need weapons and cars. Ooh. Cannon cars. That was awesome! Only Peter's May 19th. The franchise about family, cars and physics bending stunt work returns for the 10th film, albeit missing the opportunity to call it Fur 10 Us, which has to be a complete oversight. It could have even had the tagline Fast 10 Your Seatbelts. This stuff writes itself. Anyway, starting with a flashback to the safe heist from Fast 5 when the gang destroyed the empire of drug lord Hernan Reyes, culminating in them dragging a huge safe through the streets. We discovered that there was another person there at the time, conveniently off-camera. That person was Dante Reyes, the sadistic son of Hernan, and now he's back for revenge, many years later for some unknown reason. Toretto and his team are hired by the agency to steal a computer chip in transit in Rome, but when Cipher turns up, she reveals it's a trap set up by Reyes and his revenge plan begins. As the first part of what was a two-part climax for the franchise, but is now threatened to be a three-part wrap-up, don't expect this to end well, as it's clear from the start that this will be half a film, as it begins bringing back pretty much everyone that we've seen in previous films for the endgame. In addition, don't expect any of it to make any sense. And don't dwell too much on the fact that pretty much everything that happens is due to coincidence. Even though the film tries to play out that Dante has planned it all, it seriously takes some leap of faith to believe that. Nope, the nonsense revenge plot is just an excuse to throw in a load of world-hopping action set pieces and take 2 hours and 20 minutes to do so. Over the past few films, the dialogue exchanges have seeded in some nods and winks to the regular criticisms levied at films, notably... The fact that nobody dies for example was a running dare i suggest joke in the last film and this film does it once again thinking it's being wittily meta when in reality it's simply backing up all the problems people have with the nonsense on display this whole film is more of the same although thankfully we don't get a car in space level of ridiculous this time but we do get a great deal of other preposterous action that really strains credulity. It's an absolute mess of a film throughout. I audibly muttered expletives at a few moments in the film as it gradually bludgeoned me into my seat. By the time the end credits rolled and that much spoiled cameo played out, I was just glad it was all over. That said, there are two things that I particularly enjoyed. First up, John Cena as Jacob. Now let's be clear, Jacob appears to have undergone a complete personality transplant since the last film, as this is very much not the same character. However, what we do get is a typical John Cena character. Charm and goofiness combined with muscle and skill, and I'm all there for that. Cena demonstrates the screen style that he always seems to deliver, even in the lowest quality of films. And at the same time, another screen presence who always brings something fun is Jason Momoa as Dante. A part which could have been played as dark and menacing is instead given a strutting peacock approach, flamboyant and eccentric. Momoa is clearly having a lot of fun with the role, adding flair to everything that he does. Strangely though, this makes the character so immensely likeable that despite the fact he's an absolute psychopath, I bizarrely wanted him to win as a result. The rest of the film is poorly plotted, with an entire chunk of the film being a subplot following Roman and his gang on the run, which goes absolutely nowhere, adds nothing to the narrative, and merely inserts pointless chunks of what the screenwriter clearly thought were witty exchanges between the group that absolutely aren't. These moments slow the film down, dragging it all out unnecessarily. Clearly, in order to split the rather scant story up into two, and now three, final films for that box office cha-ching. Look, if you've been on board this ride throughout and have been willing to remove your brain and enjoy the spectacle, then this film ticks all the boxes that you expect of fast fun with the family that you want. However, in an era where franchises such as John Wick can play smart and art with the action genre, or Mission Impossible can perform stunts that don't look like poorly rendered CGI. The Fast franchise sits alongside Michael Bay's output as low-rent dross in my books. And I'm only sticking around with it because I'm now so far down that rabbit hole that I can't get out.
0: As I've said, as we've discussed all of the Fast and Furious films, and Shaw sure is the only one I've seen, which I thought was entertaining, but uh, um, that was it. I, it, it was it was a it was a good, almost a comic book movie, but I've never been drawn to them, never been drawn to any of the Fast and the Furious movies. And with that, I don't think I'm going to go back and do a retrospective. So we'll move on.
1: Well, interestingly, with the reference to Hobbs and Shaw, that was our very first review on our very first show. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it was. Yes, it was which you will find a retrospective of landing on YouTube this week as I listen to that episode and have my reactions. For the first time, I've never listened to that episode since it went out. So this is me listening to it for the first time. Check it out on YouTube this week. Go and find us on there. I had fun doing it. I'm going to do it again. Anyway, on to the next film. I'm going to lead up to my film of the week. So that means the next film is Asterix and Obelix. The Middle Kingdom.
0: So we know that Asterix is the biggest comic book character to come out of France. He's had movies before. Uh, I remember the animated series as a kid. There've been animated movies. There've been live action movies. Does it hold up? You do know where China is, right? Uh, absolutely, uh, right. Even I know where it is. Emperor of China. Blow her little mind. My name in history has already been forever
1: immortalized. Why does everyone always have to come to us for support? No, no, no. Well, I could go. No, and no. Do not go there. I'll show you how we rumble in my country. Obelix? here. Do you not love me? I grew up reading the Asterix and Obelix books. I've devoured every one of them through the decades, and I still pick them up and revisit them from time to time now, finding charm and wit in the tales of that tribe of Gauls and their interactions with the world around them under Roman rule. This is the fifth live-action attempt at the character, this time starring Guillaume Canet as Asterix, who also directs, and Gilles Lelouch as Obelix. And it's a brand new story, not drawn from the pages of the books. Princess Fu Yi, the only daughter of the Chinese Emperor Han Zuandi, escapes the clutches of rogue prince Deng Quin and flees to Gaul to seek help in defending her kingdom. Meanwhile, Julius Caesar forms a pact with Deng Quin to aid him in taking the kingdoms and controlling all of China. Asterix, meanwhile, is trying to live a healthier life and wants to prove that he doesn't need the potion to be a great fighter. The film, being an original story, merely tries to replicate the usual elements of the books but without the charm and fun that they usually contained. Thus, we get an encounter with the pirates, we get Caesar arguing with Cleopatra, we get Cacophonics being terrible at music, all the elements you expect to be there as a fan, but they all feel so poorly inserted into a pretty plain and uninspiring story. The cast are all okay, the one exception being Vincent Cassell as Julius Caesar, who is absolutely perfect, bringing something interesting to the screen whenever he appears. But Asterix doesn't work in live action as well as it does on the page, or indeed the animated offerings over the years. And whilst the film tries to adopt an almost cartoon-like nature to the action moments, which, to be fair, does look pretty slick, it doesn't quite feel right being in live-action, and the personalities of the cast feel mainly flat as a result. Asterix and Oblix the Middle Kingdom may entertain the younger audiences somewhat, but it's just another missed opportunity for me as a fan to tap into what made the books stand the test of time so well.
0: So it's sad to hear this, isn't, this hasn't held
1: up. The animated versions have all been great, I've enjoyed every animated adaptation, they've all captured the, the look, the feel, the style, but the live-action versions don't work.
0: So that leads us to Bo is Afraid, which From what I've read, the reviews I've read, is a very strange movie, to say the least. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. How are you feeling about that? Feeling sad about going home, Bo?
1: Must feel totally unreal. You will walk many miles.
0: Your adventures will continue for years. We are waiting,
1: Bo. I'm on my way. If Hereditary was his most accessible film, and Midsummer a step towards indulgence, Bo is Afraid is the film where Ariasta simply seems to get carried away with ideas, and it's easy to see why it's dividing audiences so much. This is a film you either find overindulgent, meandering nonsense dragged out over a very long three hours, or a work of engaging, somewhat surreal beauty that feels like the kind of indulgency you could happily have been force-fed more of. I'm certainly in the second camp on this, whilst at the same time find this is a very difficult film to recommend. Beau suffers from paranoia. A lifetime of issues clearly having left him in a low mental state. And the crime-riddled block he lives in clearly isn't helping him. His psychiatrist prescribes him a new drug to help him calm his anxieties. But it's unclear if this helps him, as the world around him continues to get escalatingly terrifying. With a planned trip to see his mother falling apart due to circumstances, Bo blames himself, and when he later finds out his mother has died, his guilt and paranoia play on him as he starts a journey to go home for the funeral arrangements. Part Homer's Odyssey, with a dollop of Pink Floyd's The Wall, this journey of the mind and soul is presented like a surrealist's nightmare at times, and a dark, foreboding drama at others. Central to the whole thing is Joaquin Phoenix's beau, who journeys from one location to the next, with each stop allowing a look into the broken psyche of the character, allowing us to build an idea of where he comes from, and why he's so paranoid all the time. Phoenix is engaging, pitiful, and mesmerizing in the lead role, serving the sometimes darkly humorous tale with a physical performance that shines throughout. By the final act, after multiple scenes have set up what we believe to be Bo's reality. It is all given a fresh perspective and leads to some ambiguity as to what was real and what was simply just Bo's warped interpretation of the scary world around him, with the new drugs he was prescribed maybe being the catalyst for a vivid waking nightmare that maybe, just maybe, wasn't exactly how we saw it. This is an ambiguous, confusing, and perhaps a tad indulgent tale for Master, and I loved it. The events have sat with me since, and I've reasoned a perspective take on the story which will likely differ from other perspectives. And that's the key thing. This is a film that you can make of what you want, and you can have it fit how you see the world around you, much like how Bo clearly sees the world differently to others. I'm not a huge fan of his work. I think he's an interesting
0: filmmaker which has a very discernible voice, a, a, a real auteur in his work. But it, it doesn't land for me, and I and I tried it. I, I like midsummer more than I've liked anything else. Uh, yeah. so uh, I'm, I'm glad you liked it, but it's just not for me. Is there anything for me over the next week or so?
1: So over at cinemas this coming week, for the younger audiences, there's animated offering the fairy Troublemaker. for the young and maybe older audiences, I've got my eye on it. The Little Mermaid finally swims into the cinemas this week. Poorly Received Hypnotic lands in the UK this week. It has been poorly, poorly received.
0: You could hear the explosion as it bombed at the box office in the US.
1: Yeah, you could feel it around the world. And Sisu also lands on limited release at cinemas. Over on Now TV and Sky, To Catch a Killer lands this week. And also, it was a surprise hit. Surprised me immensely, but I didn't watch it. Lyle Lyle Crocodile which everyone who I know has seen it has said, you know what, it was actually okay. So I might give it a shot. I might check it out and let you know. Over on Netflix, M. Night Shyamalan's old lands this week. It's not perfect by any means. Oh, past an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, Blood and Gold, which sees a German deserter and a young woman drawn into a bloody battle at the end of World War II. Victim Suspect. A journalist digging into a case of a woman charged with falsely reporting a rape. A pattern emerges. Authorities turn the tables on the victims. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's TV series FUBAR launches this week as well. Over on Amazon, Malignant. I had a lot of love for it last year when it got released. And Bedrest. A pregnant woman on a bedrest starts to wonder if her house is haunted or is it all in her head. So it's all horrors on Amazon this week. And that's not a bad diverse mix for streaming and cinemas over this coming week and that
0: is also the end we've come to the end of another show but if you're a regular listener you'll know we're going to tell you about our neat things That's stuff that we've enjoyed over the last week whether that's a, a podcast a movie a tv series a meal as long as we find it pretty neat we're going to tell you about it and andy what's your neat thing
1: this week my neat thing this week now this week i did something bit naughty oh okay this week i spent money on something that i've not actually got the money for but it's okay to buy now paying 12 this week i treated myself to a playstation vr2 and boy it's amazing i mean i already had the playstation vr for the playstation 4 that was fun that uh, there's some great games on there the vr2 is such an advance in technology against the old vr it's it's just right from putting it on and just doing the configuration i was just like this is amazing you've even got like because the cameras are on the vr unit itself rather than even needing an external camera and you can switch between external view and internal view so when you put your controllers down in the old vr that's it you're you're blind you're fumbling around but if i put my controllers down i can press the button and i can see where i'm going so i've already got a few games like gran turismo i could test out the vr mode on there no man's sky I test on that but the first new game that I picked up to really have fun with was a game called Drums Rock. Okay, sounds like me. You're basically a drummer in hell with demons flying towards you. And it's a rhythm game. And you know what? how I like me rhythm games. I like me like you have to hit things in the certain symbols. So the demons are coming towards you. A red demon comes, you have to hit your red drum in VR mode. You have to grab your sticks from behind your back Bring them forwards and then hit them in rhythm with it and there's there's a load of unlicensed tracks and then there's a few licensed tracks like black betty and um i love rock and roll for example <laughs> and it's just so much fun i've been sat there with a the vr headset on in the early hours of the morning just like bam 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 oh tapping the sticks together even though you're tapping virtual sticks together because the new controllers have like a, a haptic feedback you can feel the click as they hit against each other and it makes it so immersive it's great i mean I, as i'm like bashing away at these virtual drums and genuinely feeling like i'm hitting drums i feel like i'm actually part of an absolutely amazing <laughs> band even though i know i've got absolutely no rhythm in real life
0: i hope you're closing the windows when you're doing this because i think the neighbors will think you've you've, you've gone insane
1: i'll do it with the curtains open tough they can deal with me just going crazy with a virtual headset on in my living room Uh, it's a fun little game Um, it was only about 15 quid on the store which is why i picked it up i've also spotted that there's an air guitar one as well which works on a similar principle that's getting purchased because me stood doing air guitar to some like offspring tracks and things like that. That's that's it. I'm I'm in heaven. Loving the VR2. It's such an upgrade over the past VR system. And drums rock is a definite, definite neat thing. I mean, you can throw your sticks in the air and catch them <laughs> and get a multiplier charge bonus, or and this is what I'm trying to get now: throw the sticks at the drum to hit it and grab it as it comes back up and manage to time it perfectly and get a bigger multiplier bonus. All the flair that you see all the best drummers coming out with is in that game and it's so much fun entirely
0: different other end of the spectrum (laughs) than my neat thing this week so mine has been uh the chris hemsworth series limitless that's on disney plus this explores the thought actor looking at different ways that people humanity can do to to live longer and battle aging by taking on a certain amount of physical challenge and that's basically how each episode is. So whether it's having to swim in ice-cold Norwegian waters, because ice water can slow down your metabolism, or fasting for uh, a few days and seeing the effects of basically re kick uh, the cells in your body. It's a fascinating series, and it shows Chris Hemsworth to be, A, to come across as a very, very likable person who will or not always going to these challenges with a great amount of courage one way he had to walk on a platform that was uh, hundreds and hundreds of feet into the air uh, the top of a skyscraper but he does it with that kind of aussie uh, a plump basically and you learn a little bit about your own physiology and you think about the ways as, as those of us are getting older and starting to see slight changes in, in the way that we live our life, thinking about what can we do to improve our lifestyle. Um, clearly, Chris Hemsworth is in, in peak physical condition, but he's found elements which have been, been challenging, including something that's changed his his viewpoint about the rest of his life. The great series, if you don't like heights, if you don't like people put in precarious positions, then this is not the show for you. But if you are prepared for a just under an hour and a broadcast hour to spend time with Chris Hemsworth and looking at the way that we as human beings can alter the way that we live highly highly recommend it and there are just certain things and they don't have to be to the degree that Hemsworth's doing it that you can do to change your own life and I've, to be honest taking a couple of these on myself I'm not going to tell you which one but I can tell you it's not swimming in Norwegian water and that folks that's it for this week thank you as ever for joining us right here on the film file remember to tell all your friends get them involved because we are the film show that loves the films that we talk about big plans for this week andy anything on oh you've got a big gig aren't you
1: yes uh deaf leopards t- literally tomorrow um from when we're recording this so by next week i'll be i'll be all psyched about it
0: yeah i went to the uh the small uh show at the leadmill in sheffield a unique way to see a huge band and it was good to catch yeah. up
1: with my former bosses aside from that little mermaid comes out this week i'm trying to find a slot to fit it into my schedule so i can talk about it next week and i'm also and i don't know why i do this to myself i'm five episodes into my rewatch of all the fast and furious franchise you're doing the lord's work i'm telling you i, th- I think i'm the devil's puppet more like <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll see everybody again next week and andy i think we've been here too long i feel unusual yeah. <laughs> Comedy <laughs> <of> gold. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think this? this? <laughs> I'm just trying to hope you don't pick up the mic. <laughs> <I
1: don't play laughs> <any longer. laughs>
0: what was that? What was that? We'll do a whole Arthur, show like that. Arthur <laughs> says, Don't go near frying pans. <laughs> <you> <laughs> can... oh, oh, oh. Charlie <laughs> says, Charlie don't go top. throwing
1: don't go throwing tramps into the canal
0: <laughs> because they clog up the waterways
1: <laughs> and decompose. Charlie says, "Make sure you drop a few tabs before you go down to the park." <laughs> <laughs> what I do like though.
0: Um, and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> so, that's our week. But what have we got on the show for you this week? On We've the show the the we have yeah, that's right. We've got a question of the week. Let's like get all
1: that. Um, You're frozen. You've completely frozen on my screen. You've gone. You've gone. How dare you. In a sultry voice there. Dot yeah. UK. Dot UK. Yeah. Today's sexy Andy day. So
0: we mentioned this last week and uh, we were so happy. It made us smile. I Beetlejuice 2 is in production. There's and, that ice you know, cream. I think it's about the same time as last week. <laughs> ice cream. Ice. I really remember that, Ernie Murphy. Thing.
1: Was I got an ice cream. I got an ice cream. You can't afford one because you're a welfare. <laughs> <laughs> you could write a better script with AIs than what humans have done in this one.
0: I've only seen um, Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> and, uh, <that laughs> <was> it. <laughs> Hobbs, Hobbs and sure. Shaw is the only one I've seen. Whether that's a, a podcast, a movie, TV series, a meal.
1: A Camberwell or Camberwell Carrots. <laughs> My neat thing for this week. <laughs> I'd love to do the whole
0: episode spite, in that voice. <laughs> I will spite you. I will spite you. you would not even... <laughs>